Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, the next generation of software solutions for DOD. The most advanced software engineering skills and, and capabilities and indeed products are not in our sector. Uh, they, are, they are being developed outside of our sector. Moving the Pentagon at the speed of deployment. It actually requires great emphasis and time spent on understanding how to go from a pilot project to really the, the scale of the Department of Defense. And the key ingredient for artificial intelligence success. We focus on the technology, but the way that really works is the people. We have to get an entire Department of Defense trained and educated or else it, it will feel like we're, we're left behind. It's Tuesday, October 12th, 2021. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The Office of Management and Budget will fill the federal chief statistician job that's been vacant for two years. OMB reposted the opening on USA Jobs Thursday. Nancy Potok held the job last. She retired in January 2020. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency has another trusted Internet Connection 3.0 use case on the street. The agency writes the use case will help agencies, quote, preserve security, reduce costs, and improve user experience. It's the final version of a remote user document that came out in draft form last December. The Army's pushing back the launch of its new digital human resources system. The Integrated Personnel Pay System Army will debut in September of next year instead of December of this year. The Functional Management Division Chief of IPSA, Colonel Rebecca Eggers, says the department found some challenges in stress tests and, quote, we're going to get it right. You can read more about these and many other stories at fedscoop.com. Leading government cyber experts like the chairman of the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee, Senator Gary Peters, will join me at Palo Alto's Public Sector Ignite Virtual Conference, Thursday, November 18th. I hope you'll join me too. You'll learn about key cybersecurity issues impacting agencies, including zero trust, endpoint detection and response, and secure remote access. You can sign up now at ignite.paloaltonetworks.com. This year's National Defense Authorization Act includes more changes to acquisition at the department. It doesn't include, though, asking the department or its vendors if they're even asking the right questions to get the right solutions. Steve Grunman is a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council. He's executive in residence at Renaissance Strategic Advisors and former deputy undersecretary of defense for industrial affairs and installations. Steve, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. I note that you asked recently in an opinion piece that that question I'm referring to should be, what business are you really in? How does that apply to what you're seeing in acquisition in the department today? Welcome. Uh, thanks. Thanks very much. Um, well, let me let me uh, tell you what the impetus for that that was. I, I was reading up uh, a uh, an article that had been, been written by an eminent Harvard Business School professor uh, Levitt, L-E-A-V-I-T-T, who wrote wrote an article which had been represented to me as like a foundational uh, a journal article on uh, business uh, on, on the business of marketing. And and uh, the title of the article, or at least the refrain, if it wasn't the re the title, was "What business are you in?" and and this was an article that had had in uh, among other things had lamented uh, the this was written in the late 50s early 60s when the railroads right on the American railroads who at the end of the 19th century were one of the great industrial powerhouse sectors of the economy had essentially over the, a, a single generation gone bankrupt and he asked he asked uh, you know why did this happen and his answer was 
because they forgot what business they are they were in or they thought too narrowly about what business they were in. They thought that they were in the railroad business. And so within that one generation, they missed the automobile and the airplane. And if they'd only realized that they were in the transportation services business, um, they, they, they might have got it right. So this feels to me like a relevant, if not lesson, than question that our defense industry ought to be asking itself. Um, and there are a couple of reasons for that. One of which is um, the defense budget, which has grown very mightily over the last four or five years, is going to, in, in whatever terms, flatten out. You know, we're not going to see, we're not likely to realize the kind of five to seven percent nominal growth that, for example, the, the national defense strategy from 2018 called for. Um, uh, and so by whatever measure, we're going to have slower uh, growth in spending. But the other thing is that the the customers, the defense customers, um, uh, tastes and preferences, as an economist would use those terms, tastes and preferences, are changing, right? Uh, in particular, software and and uh, C2 is uh, those capabilities are moving up the value chain, displacing what for at least a generation uh, has, has been occupied by companies that make platforms. So um, that, that's what I was up to. I'm, 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 uh, I'm modestly suggesting that the defense industry ask itself, what business are you in uh, at, at, a, at a time when its market is about to, I think, if it's not already in the midst of being disrupted? The line that I like that you cite in this piece, and we'll link to this in the show notes at the thedailyscooppodcast.com, um, the line from Professor Levitt that I really appreciated was this one. People don't want to buy a quarter-inch drill. They want a quarter-inch hole. And I imagine that was to get students to reflect on providing solutions rather than selling stuff. You uh, then mention uh, Secretary Austin, uh, the defense secretary, talking about buttressing, you write, U.S. diplomacy and advancing a foreign policy that employs all instruments of our national power. That was uh, remarks from Secretary Austin at Pearl Harbor uh, back in the spring. And you cite three things in this piece that are important um, to consider in light of the Secretary's uh, remarks. The first, you write, the most advanced applications of software solutions are being developed and deployed outside our industry. Why does that make this inflection point that you're thinking about more difficult for people like Secretary Austin? I think our industry regards software as an input right now. And no one should doubt that, that, that uh, many, uh, certainly all of the, all of the leading uh, participants in our defense industrial base have high quality software engineering skills. But um, I think we, we could agree. I think even the, the defense industry would agree that uh, the, the most advanced uh, software engineering uh, skills and, and capabilities and indeed products are not in our sector. Uh, they, are, they are being developed outside of our sector. And so that is a, a challenge both for the customer and for the incumbent uh, defense industrial base to figure out either how to, if you're the customer, how do I access uh, these very most advanced software skills, which are critical to the, uh, the uh, implementation of my strategy. And you see some of that in, let's call it broadly, uh, to hearken to Ash Carter, the outreach to Silicon Valley, right? That was in part uh, not in no small part. It was an effort to to give at gain access, gain the department's access to these most advanced software skills. Um, from the from the the incumbent defense industry's point of view, this is both a, a challenge and an opportunity. Right, there are also going to be entrants. Think of how Amazon, uh, a company which indisputably has some of the world's most advanced software engineering skills, think about how Amazon is disrupting 
the federal marketplace. Uh, just to take one example, um, by the same token, uh, the defense industry is going to have to figure out how either to source or recruit uh, the kinds of skills and capabilities that are, are truly world-class in software engineering, because that's what um, Secretary Austin is going to demand uh, of, of, of his military. Second item that you write, the CONOPS animating integrated deterrence will generate needs that run across the grain of most defense companies' business models. Does that mean that they need to change their business models, or does that mean the department needs to think about how to uh, alter the way they're thinking about things? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. And, and here's where I would cite um, uh, what we are coming to learn about the joint all domain command and control concept. That's not really a concept of operation. Uh, let me not misspeak. But but there there is a, a momentum uh, toward a plug and play um, military Internet. Uh, I, I'm sure that 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 vernacular probably is going to be inaccurate in, in many ways. But let's work with that. That, that the, the, what JADC2 is, is asking for uh, is, is, is an industry and, a, and military con-ops that allow plug-and-play um, uh, communications, the integration of sensors with the communication system, and then, then a battle command uh, network that, that turns those into effects on, on the battlefield. And um, the openness of that architecture, let's just, let's just sit on one aspect of it that will be different and disruptive, right? There, uh, uh, General Hyten, the Vice Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, has. has right, here's an instance where you're hearing you're you're hearing un, indisputably what the customer wants. The customer wants an open architecture, plug and play network, and that's just not the way our industry, our incumbent industry, or for that matter, not the way the customer has been buying uh, and developing these systems in the past. So that will be transformational, disruptive, call it what you will. Third item is entrants from Silicon Valley to Detroit have put national security in their sights. And you don't just say it, you cite a number of references that I think are contrary to the way that people are thinking about this. You reference SpaceX, Amazon, General Motors, and that's an encouraging thing, I imagine. That's a good uh, problem for the department to have if it's even a problem, isn't it, Steve? It is a good problem for, for, for the department to have. Um, uh, it is a challenge for the incumbent defense industry, um, but, but that's the landscape now. Um, I do think SpaceX's entry into space launch is, is really the template here. Um, uh, I, can, I can readily remember uh, 2007, 8, 9, when the incumbent uh, launch industry was, was just scoffing um at at this at this young man elon musk and 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 the the uh the prospect that he could possibly pull this off well he did um and and the and then he brought that business across the river from nasa to the department of defense and now um you know spacex uh the falcon uh, series of rockets really is is setting the, the tempo of that market in in price and performance well that that i think we should expect to happen in other segments of the industry as well um, I'm interested just to choose another example, although the, the, the origin story of it is altogether different from SpaceX, but I'm certainly interested in the, in the loud play that General Motors Defense is making. When, when we think about uh, the, the, the transformation of, of, uh, right, from combustion engines uh, in, in terrestrial vehicles to probably electric uh, or at least hybrid electric vehicles, um, uh, a company with the R&D bench of, of General Motors is a big deal. 
Um, a company with, for, for that matter, the balance sheet of General Motors is a, is a big deal. Um, again, quite attractive, I should think, from the customer if they can figure out how to actually um, uh, make uh, doing business with the Department of Defense attractive. Um, but at the same time, a, a another you know a threat on on the landscape of uh, of the incumbent defense industry are these entrants. Steve, always great insight I get from you. Thanks very much for coming on. Ah, you're welcome. Great talking to you. You can find a link to Steve's pieces at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast lineup is available ahead of time on Twitter. You can follow the show at Daily Scoop Pod on Twitter. The new director of the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center at the Defense Department says the Pentagon will field AI projects across the military slowly. The director of the Jake, Lieutenant General Michael Groen, says his goal is making the solutions the center develops usable across the military. Lieutenant General Jack Shanahan, U.S. Air Force retired, former director of the Jake and former leader of Project Maven at the Defense Department. General, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate your time. What's the significance in your view of speed in artificial intelligence projects in the national security and defense space? Welcome, sir. Yeah, thanks, Francis. Thanks very much for, uh, for allowing me to spend a little bit of time with you on such an important topic right now. You know, if I, if I were to summarize a couple of the biggest lessons I learned in the five years of standing up Project Maven and then standing up the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center, the Jake, the two words that always come to my mind have never left me even after a year of retirement is speed and scale. We're trying to drive artificial intelligence integration and adoption across the Department of Defense and do it in a way that it has to happen much faster than sort of the pace that we had been used to in more traditional hardware industrial age systems in the past. So when you think speed and scale, I think commercial software companies more than anything else. Uh, and, and think of the anything from the biggest companies in this business to Amazon, Google, Microsoft, to, to 10 person startups. In the software business, it's about speed, it's about scale, and it's also about user interface and user experience. Some would say that customer experience. In the Department of Defense, we haven't done that very well. And sometimes we've ignored it entirely, much, much to our detriment. So when I think about AI, the way I learned, and, and we didn't get this right at the beginning, believe me, I, I have a lot of scars from doing things probably the wrong way. But the idea of putting a minimal viable product or an MVP into the user's hand as fast as possible and allowing them to, to tell you what's wrong with it, to iterate on that and get it better and better and better is so much better than the traditional way of waiting five to 10 years to field a system that was supposedly perfect, but of course never was. So the idea of minimal vial product is one of the, uh, I think, essential lessons that, that I took away from my experience at Project Maven and Jake. And so now apply that to the entire Defense Department and we have to go faster and we have to get this done at scale. How does one combine speed and scale or does one come before the other based on the lessons that you've learned, General? Uh, based on my experience, and, and I really don't think this is, is different from, from really any commercial software company, is you start with a, with a pilot project and it's usually a small scale project. And then, and then you begin to build that out and make it better and get user feedback and bring in real-world data from operational environment. And then you build it bigger and better and faster. And then over time, 
you start doing this across an entire department and then scale begins to happen. I was going to say it happens naturally. It does not happen naturally in department defense. It actually requires great emphasis and time spent on understanding how to go from a pilot project to really the, the scale of the Department of Defense. So, so, you know, I wrote a paper recently about the importance of the diffusion of, inf of, of innovation in government. Um, as hard as it is for sort of the classic disruptors to go out there and build these, these fantastic innovation projects with artificial intelligence, they've had a hard time scaling beyond a certain point. What's required is all the other elements of, of government bureaucracy have to adapt as well. As I say in, in this paper, we have about a five-year window to inculcate a culture of innovation, or we really risk the inability to keep pace with the ramifications and implications of emerging disruptive technology. So they're, they're, they're sort of parallel processes. You know, I don't look at them as sequentially, but it has to happen everywhere as opposed to small innovation organizations that, that are run by incredibly talented people, but they're just never big enough to get to scale across the department. When one looks at the results of a pilot that has completed, what does one evaluate to determine this was a success, this was not a success, or this is something we want to try again, but it maybe go in a different direction, tweak it somehow, General? Yeah, so two, two very important points to, to that question. First of all, it's never done. This is software environment. So even if you're on version 25 of an AI model that's been put out in the field, there's going to be a 26, there's going to be a 27. And the user should actually never have to know that it's been, been installed other than here's what's better from the last version, just like we're used to in our electronic devices every single day. So it's, it's a continuous process, what I would call continuous integration, continuous deployment, or continuous delivery. And the second part is equally important, your question about how do you know? It never comes from the top down. It only comes from one place, user adoption. If they like it, they'll use it and they'll make it better. If you, if you jam it down their throats and never involve them in the, from the very beginning, from concept to design, to test and evaluation, to sort of continuous integration, continuous delivery, they'll not use it. And you'll be with another sort of legacy system that um, is, we spent too much money on and spent too much time. So, so it's really important that user adoption is the metric of success, not what the Jake says, not what Project Maven says, not what anyone else says. It's do the users say it's the right product for the right environment at the right time. So I'm thinking more broadly with this question about software development in the department rather than specifically artificial intelligence applications general, but if you combine those two major things that you just described, incremental development and not jamming it down users' throats, then that to me would seem to be the death knell for waterfall development. And yet it's not. We still see that um, on an ongoing basis. What drives that culturally in your view to finally get us away from that waterfall process, sir? No, it's well said. And, and I'll, I'll tell you one of the biggest problems is, and this is maybe a sin of omission, not of commission, is people just don't know what it means to, to be agile. I didn't I'll be honest, absolutely brutally honest. I didn't, I didn't know it was until we're well down the track of Project Maven. And I really began to, the Defense Innovation Board and visiting companies in Silicon Valley, these people that were, did this for a living would sit down and explain this concept uh, of agile manifesto or agile principles. It just wasn't the way things are done in an industrial 
age, hardware-centric government. And if you're looking at a software-centric digital age, you have to be more risk tolerant and you have to be user-focused. So people have to be educated. This is where the big story of my paper is you have disruptors that are blossoming everywhere. You have people at the very highest levels in the services and organizations that are beginning to understand what this is about. And they have pretty good talking points, but they don't understand really the details yet. What we really have to focus on now is in the middle. Those opinion leaders, the middle management layer, they have to understand what agile really means, not as a talking point, but what it really means. And it's not until people begin to understand it and do it and see the, the fruits of their labors will they really begin to appreciate it. I, I think but the waterfall is going to be really, as you say, it's, it's, it's a deadly, deadly uh, pandemic by itself. It's great for certain programs that are very hardware intensive and um, very risk intolerant that that require five nines of performance it is not the way we want to do business for commercial software uh, best practices so so really i like the I, i'm glad you brought that up it's it, it's going to take a while but we have to really embrace it we'll put a link to that paper in today's show notes at the daily scoop podcast.com general stand by for just a second if you would we'll continue the conversation in a moment i'm francis rose the host of the daily scoop podcast sponsored today by zoom for government Designed with relevant certifications and ATOs for the federal hybrid workforce, Zoom for Government offers rich and high-reliability audio and video to work through complex issues and build rapport across government with mission partners and engaging the public. Learn more at karasoft.com Zoom. Okay, more with the former leader of the Jake, Lieutenant General Jack Shanahan, U.S. Air Force, retired. I want to go back to that idea that you described uh, earlier in our conversation, General, about customer experience and the fact that the department, you said, hasn't done it well and in some cases has ignored it altogether. What's your sense of how that trajectory is now, whether that trajectory is improving or whether it's just kind of flat or maybe even deteriorating? Uh, well, I guess that's a classic, it depends answer. Okay. Uh, it's be it's better in some places. There's no doubt because of, of all these different organizations of Defense Innovation Unit, Kessel Run, uh, Strategic Capabilities Office, uh, Hacking for Defense, Project Maven. I, I could go on. They're showing, uh, they're showing what can be done. This includes uh, getting much better at acquisition and contracting, which has been a big big problem in department, but it, but it's not DOD wide. And, and I'm not sure it will be DOD wide for another couple of years. We also risk going backwards to, to your point about, uh, is it getting better or getting worse? Um, I, I don't think there's a deterministic answer here that it, it, it doesn't necessarily get better if left by itself. I would say there's, a, there's always a danger of sliding backwards unless people put a lot of dedicated effort to getting an entire bureaucracy moving in, in a different direction. And that's, that is never easy. And it, it is frustrating to people. And if we're not careful, the people that are really good at this, the real innovators and, and the people that understand Agile from the beginning, they'll leave. They'll leave the government and they'll go to commercial industry. So we, 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 have, to, we have to work hard on, on partnerships. A lot of this message is about partnering between government, industry, and academia in, in better ways. We've lost a little bit of that over the past few years, but, but I'm beginning to see very encouraging signs that it's coming back. I hope so. All right. In filling out the it depends answer to my question, General, um, <laughs> you indicated that it is getting better some places where it's getting better. What are the components of that improvement and how could one deploy them in places where one steps back and says, my org's not where one, not one of the places where things are getting better and I want to change that. Yeah. So you so that a couple of things is it really does require a uh, 
different levels of leadership to buy into the idea that this is the only way to move forward. Because if the leaders don't support it, you'll get very frustrated people at, at lower levels that just say no, but nobody supports them. So it goes to some of, some of the seemingly more mundane things that leaders can do, which is um, budget priorities, hiring practices. How do you bring the right people in? In my experience, in Project or Project Maven to a little bit, but really to, to Jake, where my world changed almost overnight when I got a chief technology officer in that had spent 27 years in Silicon Valley. His view of the world was not a DOD view of the world, which is what I valued most about that. So the idea of bringing in transplant, transplanted leaders from commercial industry, software, best practices, is so important to, to sort of overall improvement in doing this. So that's always something I'm, I'm gonna talk about is leadership has to buy into this. They have to show the middle layer, the middle management, the opinion leaders, that they're serious about innovation. They're not giving it lip service. And, and sometimes people um, won't adapt and they have to be moved on to, to somewhere else. But I tell you, my experience in government, People, people want to feel like they're contributing. They really want it. Their, their contributions are seen as being valuable, but they don't know what they don't know. So to give them the education and training they need, uh, and then they'll sort of, the light bulb comes on. You say, wait a minute, this product that we were working on is now being used in combat in somewhere around the world. That's a powerful statement, especially if they're now sitting, sometimes literally, but a lot of times virtually or figuratively, side by side with the, with the end user to understand what their experience is. And yeah, it works great in a lab in, in Ohio, but it doesn't work so well in a dust storm in uh, Somalia. You talked about acquisition and the importance of improving acquisition. I'm not sure that's something that would have occurred to me first off when thinking about improving software or any other kind of development inside the department, but on reflection, it makes perfect sense. What are the organizations that are doing acquisition better doing how are they leveraging DFARS or how are they leveraging their personnel or how are they leveraging whatever they're leveraging to succeed uh, better in acquisition? A couple of things. First of all, you need people that understand the acquisition and contracting world and understand the new way of doing business as opposed to sort of the old industrial way of doing business. So I was very fortunate that 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 classic disruptor that stood up Project Maven, Marine Corps Colonel Drew Kukor, who's just about to retire after after almost five years of doing this. He also just happened to be, in addition to being an intelligence officer and an operations professional from from. Uh, spending time in combat, was also level three certified in acquisition. He knew the limits of the DFAR, but he also now knew how to work within the confines of the DFAR. And he would push that right up to the border time and time again. But it was all, not only was it legal, we would applaud what, what was going on and the Hill would applaud it because that's what they were looking for. They were looking for people to change the traditional ways of doing acquisition and contract, but that's insufficient. So you started seeing organizations like Defense Innovation Unit taking advantage of other authorities, other transaction authorities, or commercial solutions openings, CSOs. There, there are more flexible and they're broader and and what we're seeing now is most of, of the people I, I work with on the hill at the staffer and the member level really want to help Department of Defense get better at acquisition and contracting and right before I retired that Jake was putting in place an umbrella acquisition plan called Tradewind and it, it's now in effect and it's just the way for commercial companies to come on board and get a contract with the department much faster. I mean, to what you were saying, um, waiting a year and a half for a contracting process to play out is absurd because the technology has changed 45 times in that year and a half. We can't 
afford to do that. So we have to make things much easier for, for everybody, not just acquisition experts. I was lucky to have some of those contracting and acquisition experts. It should be everybody. Make it much easier to come in and put a company on contract very quickly and pay them quickly because sometimes they've got to get through the next quarter with money on the books. Uh, final thought for this conversation, and I've written down about 30 more questions, General, so I'll have to ask you to come back and continue the conversation at some point in the future. But what underpins every single thing that we've talked about in this conversation is having the right people in the right places. Am I on target with that, do you think, sir? 100% it is about people. We, we'd love to focus on technology, and technology is important. We are in a time of exponential change. It's, it's the classic technology S-curve. You sort of have this steep, steep slope of the curve, then it flattens out, it plateaus, so which way we've kind of been over the last year or two. But there's no question in my mind, we're about to go exploding up this curve. And you either can hang on to that and climb up the curve at that pace, or you can be left behind. And so we focus on the technology, but the way that really works is the people. We have to get an entire Department of Defense trained and educated about all these things we've been talking about and could talk about for, for days more, or else it, it will be feel like we're, we're left behind. So it is about people. It, it, it's a people-centric um, organization, and uh, sometimes we glamorize technology at the expense of the people. I think we should put it the other way around. The, technology is an enabler. AI is an enabler. It's an incredible potential uh, with its enabling capabilities, but it is an enabler, and it's the people that we should be focused on. So much more to do in this area. General Shanahan, thank you very much for a terrific conversation. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Francis. Thanks very much, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad to do it, and I look forward to maybe doing it again at some point. Would love to have you do that, sir. You can read more from General Shanahan in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you've already rated the program, on your platform of choice. Thanks for doing that. When we get high ratings and good reviews, that helps more people find it. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop podcast returns on Wednesday. I'm the host of the program, Francis Rose. Thank you very much for listening.